I want you to open your Bible once again this morning to 2 Peter chapter 1, the 10th verse. Wherefore the rather, brethren, which means therefore, therefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. It's my desire as I stand here this morning, and I'm sure it's yours too, that your life will be lived in such a way that you will not fall or fall away. Some think it means to fall away, to walk away from the faith, as they do in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in the latter days, depart from the faith. And these things I think that he's talking about, if you do these things, are the things that he mentioned in verses 5 through 7. He said, add to your faith this, and then add to your knowledge that, and to knowledge virtue, and to virtue godliness, and godliness patience, and, and patience brotherly love, and so forth. Now, the picture is, to me, as we read this, a premium is put in verses 2 and 3 on knowledge. It's mentioned twice. It's mentioned in a way that puts great prominence on it. He said, for example, in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge. Through the knowledge. If you don't know something, then you're going to miss something. And then he said in verse 5, all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to us through the knowledge. you got to know that. Somebody has to teach that. You have to avail yourself to it if it is being taught. Everything God says is important, but God says through the knowledge, things will happen to you. You'll be delivered from the things of this world. The things that cause people to fall away in verse 4. And he said, and besides all this, add to your faith. It's a growing process. Somebody is teaching you where you're going or you're being taught. You're learning somewhere. And the learning, God is endorsing what you're learning and adding to your life. And you're becoming the kind of person who will be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, a man that lacks these things... If these things aren't happening in your life, our text said in verse 8, if these things are in you and abound, he said, first of all, they make you that you shall neither be bare nor unfruitful. And back to that word in the knowledge of our Lord. You're knowing and growing. It's two words. As you know, you grow. You don't know, you won't grow. You can be a member of a church. You can go to church, be a very kind, thrifty, loving, and cheerful person. But you can do that without growing spiritually. The world's full of kind, loving, cheerful people. But a growing person is one who is becoming like the picture that God portrays for us in Christ. To be like Jesus, we sing. To grow up into him in all things. To be like him. That's our goal. That's what we're all about. And that growth process takes place through the knowledge, as we learn. Now, a man that lacks this, if this is not going on, if we've come to the place in these last days where we're just drifting, we're just kind of going along with whatever we're going along with, we're not really making application of the word to our life, we're not endeavoring to be doers instead of just hearers, then you might find yourself lacking these things. And if you are, Two things are said about you. One, you're blind. Doesn't mean you can't see. You drove to get here. We know you can see physically. But as far as what God is showing his people, you don't see it. 
because you can't see things afar off. God can be warning us throughout this year about things that are going to happen, things that are coming, trends in the world, trends that amplify what God warned us about in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, those end time chapters. And if we're not paying attention because we're too busy right now, then we can only see right now. I'm not really seeing tomorrow as a reality. Uh, you know, they've been talking like that for years. Oh, that, you know, you know, you know. And to me, it's creeping. The end time is creeping more and more towards us. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. I believe the morality of the world has crossed the line. I really do. I don't know that it can be reversed, but the Bible didn't say it'll be reversed. At the end, it'll be bad. And the Bible says you pray that you'll be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are coming on the earth. Now, we've been warned. The point is, I don't know how many people are really paying attention to it. I really don't. I don't know how important what we're doing is to everybody. I can only speak for myself. We went on to say last week, looking at two things last week. Therefore, with this in mind, understanding that we're not only growing, but we better consider what's coming and get ready that we can avoid it. Otherwise, we'll be caught unawares. We said a man should take heed what he hears in Mark 4 and how he hears it in Luke 8. Jesus said, take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear it. What you hear is important because what you hear, you're going to assimilate, you're going to take in, and that's going to form what you believe and how you live. If you take in wrong, you're going to live wrong. I grew up in a church. I didn't ever question what was ever said there. Not that it meant anything to me, but we had a system. We had a way we did things. And that's what I believed. My dad, who was a Catholic, he was the same way. He just believed whatever he was told. He never questioned it, never did. And if he was told to do this and do that and worship in a certain way and make the cross, that's what he did. He didn't know why he did it. He just knew that's what he did. He didn't have any real knowledge of why they did it. It's just the way we do it. And multitudes of people in any denomination are like that. They just do things without knowing why. They'll do things this week. It's just traditional. They don't know that that's not a scriptural thing, but it doesn't matter. We're going to do it anyway. There is something about man that is able to disregard whatever God says that he doesn't really want to hear. A man can live spiritually indifferent to God. That is, he has a spiritual character about him, but he's really indifferent to things that he doesn't want to hear. He can start daydreaming when the preacher talks about things he doesn't want to know about. Because something is wrong. The knowledge that drives his life is not always good. A little leaven can leaven the whole lump. Now, that's how serious it is. So we got to take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear it. Remember, in the last days, the Bible said this. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, in the latter times, not only shall men depart from the faith in 1 Timothy 4, but in 2 Timothy 4, he said they will not endure sound doctrine. But they will look for somebody to teach them 
because their ears will be itching to hear what they want to hear. And somebody, if you give them enough money, you pay them enough, give them enough, good enough, comfortable place to live, they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. That's how they do it. That's how it works. And consequently, the people are on a wrong track. The second thing we said is take heed that no man deceives you. Now, you really have to do that, whether it's me or any other man. You have to take heed that no man deceives you. There are many imposters and deceivers out there. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 5, when they said, when will you come? He said, you first of all, remember this, take heed that no man deceives you. He goes on to say, there's going to be a lot of people in those latter days that will say, I am Christ, or I know where he is, and come here, come there. Jesus said, don't believe any of them. You'll know when Jesus gets here. It'll be as evident as a lightning was across the sky. I thought about that last night when it woke me up. All of a sudden, the room was lit up, and I thought, wow, who turned on the lights? And it was off. And then it counted. I started counting one. Two. By the time I'd get to eight or ten, somewhere eight, nine, or ten, then the thunder, the earth, the ground, the bed, it seemed like everything was shaking. And you, wow, that had your attention. So will it be when Jesus comes. You'll know it. Every eye, John said in John 5, every eye will see him. And he'll be here. But he said, you take heed that no man deceives you, that no man causes you to depart from the faith. No man gives you a way to live that's not in the Bible. Make sure you have a Bible. And when somebody teaches you anything or says anything, check it out. See if it's in there. See if that's right. And if it's not in there, don't believe it. I tell people, I tell you, I've said it many times. Don't believe it because I said it and don't believe anything I'm saying. But if the Bible says it, that's the cause for you to believe it. But if you're not willing to search it out and check it out, then you're willing to believe whatever somebody tells you. And that's not good. You want to believe what God said because deceivers are waiting. They're standing in line to deceive people. They're standing in line. They're waiting on their turn in history down through time to have their next shot at people to talk them out of their faith and talk them out of this. Let me tell you something else. If you don't want to hear it, God will make sure you don't hear it. How about that? I know you remember the story, at least vaguely, in 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles. There was King Ahab. Jehoshaphat was with him. He shouldn't have been, but he was with him to help him in a battle. Jehoshaphat said, let's hear from the Lord before we go fight. You got any prophets of the Lord? I know you got all these little prophets running around telling you how great you are. You got anybody that's the Lord's prophet? Remember what the king said? Ahab said, I got one. I don't like him. I got one. I don't like him because uh, he, he never says good. He's always coming down hard. Said, look, well, let me hear him. So they went and got him and brought him back. And the story goes on. He said, I had a vision, told Ahab. A spirit came before the Lord. And God said, who shall deceive Ahab and his prophets? And this spirit came before him and said, I will. A spirit. And the Lord said, how will you deceive Ahab and his prophets? He said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Because men typically love lies. It doesn't have to be true. As long as it's what you want, they'll believe it. So he said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of Ahab's prophets. And they were. And he was deceived and he died. Let me ask you a question. Does that still happen? Now you think about it. It's kind of a solemn thought. 
If somebody didn't really want to hear or know the truth, would God allow them to hear a lie and be damned for it? Would he allow that? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, he says that. In the latter days, in the time of the Antichrist. Let me just read it for you so I get it right. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, that's the Antichrist, who's about to come, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now, here's why they perish. Here's why they fall. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And because they did not want to receive the love of the truth in order to be saved, the next verse says, and for this cause, God sent them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I cannot this morning standing here think of a more solemn verse of scripture in the Bible that a man in this life, in this world, can get so attached to things that aren't of God, can get so involved with things that lead you away from God, whether it's hobbies, news, adventures, whatever it is, things that turn you away from God and get so interested in it that you become annoyed at something that says you shouldn't do that. Doesn't like to hear that. And because you don't want to hear that and be lined up with the Lord and be right when he comes, because he's looking for that, but, you know, they want liberties and freedoms. You know, come on, after all, we're just human. Nobody's perfect. Come on. They start talking. That's that new age talk. That dismissing yourself from holiness talk. So they begin to do that. Next thing you know, Bible says you don't want to hear it. You won't hear it anymore. You're turned off at my word. You did not, as Romans 1 said, you did not like to retain God in your knowledge. All right, you won't. I'll give you the desire of your heart. No more interference from heaven. No more conviction about things. You'll be able to hear it now, and like when I grew up watching people, you can hear the truth, it just rolls right off your back. Goes in one ear and right out the other, changes nothing. You're done. There's a hardness that sets in, and you're done. How can that be? Well, the Bible warns us about it. They didn't love the truth. They didn't want to live by the truth. Therefore, God sent them strong delusion. Boy, you know, if God sends strong delusion, then the devil has his way. God gave them up to their wickedness, and they died because of it. Are we going to accuse God? This hour would. Well, what kind of God is that? The same God that sent Jesus to this earth to save you, and you, if you want to be saved, same one. Listen. God is not the type of person to toy with our indifference. If you don't want it, you won't get it. It'll go in one of your ears and right out the other. If you want it, nobody can keep you from getting it. Not the devil, and God will open the door for you to get all that you want. But the point of it is that there are men out there who will deceive you whose whole life is spent doing whatever the devil wants in the Bible, in pulpits, in the preachers, deacons, missionaries, whatever. It can be anywhere. 
The only hope we have to know what's right or wrong is the word of God. And you've got to know that. You've got to acquaint yourself with the word. You've got to be grounded in it. That'll keep you safe. But you've got to keep yourself from the deception of men. Now, thirdly, this morning, did you turn to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3? Take heed that you deceive not yourself. How can that be? Can you deceive yourself? Is it possible that we as Christians can deceive, mislead ourselves? There's more than one word for deceive in the Bible. The main word is the word planao, and it means to cause to wonder. It's not a narrow life. It's not a narrow way. It's you kind of give yourself a lot of room, and it makes sense, and you can put verses together that maybe say that, you think? And you begin to wander this way and you wander that way and you really don't know where you're going. You just know you're going somewhere, but you don't know where you're going. And a man, when he chooses to think about something that's not what God gave him to think about or to see himself in a way he should not see himself, he deceives himself. He begins to attach a certain amount of importance to his life. He becomes a necessary fixture in the church. What would we do without him? Maybe the preacher says that. What would these folks do without me? And he begins to think, as he said in Galatians 6, verse 3, For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Does your Bible say that? What could man think himself to be that's not right? Well, he could think he's really important, necessary, that without him, what would you do? To a lot of churches, I think the, the preachers kind of replace God. We got to have the preacher. They don't know how to walk with God alone. It's not a personal relationship. We love our church. We love to come together, but whatever he says, that's what we're going to do. Well, God didn't intend for you to get so attached. You can respect a man. Don't get me wrong. I like that. And I think it's proper. But your allegiance and your loyalty, it's not to the flag, it's to God. It's not to the preacher, it's to God. When he saved you, he bought you. You became his property. You may live in America, you may live in China, you may live on this earth somewhere, but you belong to God. Your citizenship is now in heaven. Romans 12 says that no man think of himself more highly than he ought to. Because it is natural for man, if he has some success in Christianity, to begin to see how he did that. He went on a missionary field. The Lord used him one night, and a hundred people came forward to get saved. So he brought his camera the next night, and a thousand people came forward. And he wants to show the picture. Look what I did. Look how important I am. I'm really anointed. I preach pretty good. When I preach, things happen. I've got it. He begins to see himself in a light that's not good because now he becomes a, somebody that you need, somebody that we have to have. He becomes very important. He's lost any humility that he had. He's important now. Put your finger right there and go to 1 Corinthians. Go back two books to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They were trying to make something out of Paul in the Corinthian church. They were trying to be Paulites or Apolloites and so forth. 
Paul said in verse 1, I couldn't speak to you unto spiritual people. I have to talk to you like you're still babies in the Lord. Now you say, well, why are you talking to us like that? He said, I fed you with milk and not with meat because you can't handle meat. You people can't, he said, for you're carnal. You're carnal. For there is among you, notice, envying and strife and divisions. Somebody, some man has to cause that. And the people who cause divisions and dissensions in the church are people who see themselves as knowing more and better than everybody else. So they set themselves up as the law and so forth. And he says, while one, verse 4, says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, you're carnal. Now notice this. This is how Paul talks about himself and any other leader. Who is Paul? Who's Apollos? but we're ministers by whom you believe. Even as the Lord gave to every man, do you think if the Lord did not give us a message, you would have been saved? No. Do you think if the Lord had not anointed us, any of these good things would have ever happened? No. Well, then how did these things ever happen? God did it. Man didn't do it. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 17, 10? He said, when you have done all those things that are required of you, you are still unprofitable servant. You've earned nothing or done nothing on your own. You think you have. You think you did. People tell you you did. They tell you how great you are. They tell you how important you are. They tell you how much they admire you. Whoa. But God says, you can only do to my praise and glory, what I anoint you to do. And if I don't anoint you, you can't do it. God could in this room as I'm speaking, take the least one of you, even those that aren't paying attention. He could, some of you young folks, he could take you. And to use my terminology, he could snatch you out of your seat and bring you up here and anoint you and we would all go, whoa. And we know that it wasn't him. He didn't have enough sense to talk like that. But God gave this man, this young fellow, something that he couldn't have otherwise had. So let's praise God for it. Let's marvel at the fact that he could use a human being like that or like myself. But God can do this. In the church, folks, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Nobody is higher than anybody else. Nobody is greater than anybody else. We're warned not to be heady and high-minded and think of ourselves as more important or, uh, you know, a need in the church. He told us sometimes that we need to humble ourselves to other people and esteem others as better than ourselves and to lower ourselves. Sometimes riches make people think they're important, having money, having possessions, having success in the business world. And all we want to give them all the special stuff. Paul said, you charge the rich in this world not to be heady or high-minded, but to condescend to men of low estate. Sit with them, be with them, visit with them, invite them over to your place. Don't look down on anybody because if you've got anything, God gave it to you. It all belongs to God. Test this yourself. When a man comes to the place where he knows how to do things and doesn't need to turn to God to know how to do everything, he becomes useless. Why would God want to use somebody that says, I don't need you? 
I've been preaching 40 years. I don't need to pray about that. I don't know how to do that. You become useless because you become your own little, little God. You know how to do things. You don't need to inquire of God and you deceive yourself. Or how about us just sitting here in the context of our church hearing the word? Keep finger in Galatians, turn to James 1. James chapter 1 and verse 22. James 1 and verse 22. I'm sure you're familiar with this. I hope you are. If you go to church much, I know you are. James 1 and verse 22, but be ye doers of the word. And not just hearers only, deceiving your own self. The Greek word for deceiving your own selves, the word deceiving, is a kind of a long, funny sounding Greek word. And it has to do with reaching a false conclusion, coming to the wrong conclusion. In other words, when you hear the word, you hear the Bible being taught. Sound of my voice is the same to everybody in this room. The Bible you're reading is printed by the same manufacturer. So everything's equal. Nobody has a better shot at it than anybody else. It's just all what your will wants to do. So you hear the word. Now, there are those who draw back and say, well, I'm not saying that's not true. That probably is true. That's not the way I was taught. That's what you're saying. But um, I I don't know if I'm ready for that or not. I'm not going to go home and search this out and get to the bottom of it because I really want to know. It's not that. It's not a big deal, but I'm probably going to let that set a while. So he becomes a hearer, maybe a memorizer of the word, maybe a student of some school, or maybe he graduates, maybe he's a theologian. But he's not a doer because some of the things that God wants us to do Things you read, like in the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek. I don't know if we're cut that way in America. Well, where's your citizenship? Who are you serving? Whose honor do you seek? Who's your Lord and master? It's again, that's a choice you have to make. So you begin to hear the word, but you're not too sure you're ready to do that yet. So you draw back and you don't do it. Now, the Bible says when you hear the word and you're unwilling to do it or maybe become indifferent to it and it's not such a big deal. Yes, you know, that's all right. Washing feet. I mean, come on. Come on. That was for another day. Wearing that head covering. Most women don't wear it anymore anyway, but it's in the Bible. It's in there. It just doesn't look good on my head. I'm pretty classy. I don't need that. Maybe you are classy. But what you got to realize is that when God opens his word up to you and you read it, what are you going to do with it? You going to do that? You going to join others who don't do that, but have excuses and reasons why they don't. Are you going to listen to that? Because if you do, you're going to deceive yourself. The only thing that God is ever going to use to make things right with any of us is truth. If you don't want the truth, how can you be right? So you begin to ask yourself the question. Now, here I am in church. I've been a Christian. I've confessed this all my life. And here's what the Bible says. What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with it? I know some people that don't, so I go ask them for advice. Well, you know what they're going to say. Go ask the ones that do. Ask them why they would 
wear a head covering or wash feet or whatever is controversial. Speak in tongues. Ask them why they do that. Then ask yourself, why don't I do that? And the answer often is because I don't want to. That's just not what I want to do. If you're going to force the issue, I'll go somewhere else because my ears ain't going to listen to you scratch them that hard and stay here and listen, keep listening to that. You're going to say it the way I want to hear it or you say it to somebody else. So you see, it's a terrible thing for a man to deceive himself like that because once you deceive yourself like that, you draw back from walking by faith. Faith becomes an option. The just shall live how? By faith. Faith is calling those things that be not as though they are. You're living like something is true when nobody can tell it and you can't actually prove it. You just believe it is. And you start walking by faith, it's because you're honoring the word with your will. I'm willing to do this and you start doing it. It's when you don't want to do that. And you start drawing back that you start deceiving yourself because you're misleading yourself. And I'm standing here after 40-some years of being a Christian. I'm pushing for a half century. And I have watched in my lifetime, in the last 30 years, I've watched people who were once excited start backing away from things, start not doing some things, giving up some things, gravitating back to things. And all the praise is gone, the joy is gone, the exuberance is gone. There's a worry and a concern that just lodged down in their heart because he that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. And they can't get away from it. It's called your conscience. It's your conscience. It's that part of you that casts judgment on your thoughts, your actions, and your deeds. It tells you when you're right or wrong. And when you know something is right, but you're trying to tell yourself it isn't, you can't get away from that thing on the inside that will not shut up. Until one day you harden your heart, your heart gets pricked, and it doesn't bother you anymore. Then it's over. You're free. But that's not the way it should be. Remember Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? That's Luke 6, 46. Why are you calling me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I want you to do? You're saying the right things, but you're not doing what I want you to do. Not everyone that saith unto me, in Matthew 7, 21, not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. Well, who will? He that doeth the will of my heavenly Father. So the advice is good to be doers of the word and not hearers only. James 1, look at verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceives his own what? Heart. He deceives his own heart. Is that possible? Can you deceive yourself? Can you deceive your own heart? He says here, a man that doesn't bridle his tongue. One of the ways that in the context of this that a lot of people don't bridle their tongues because they always want you to know what they've done, where they've been, how much they've accomplished, how big the deer was, how big the fish was, how many got saved, how many years you've been preaching, how much money you made. 
Some people just want to keep chattering about themselves, about me, me and mine. And they just keep talking about themselves. Again, your heart begins to get puffed up and your heart begins to think that you're really somebody, actually that you're not. You begin to convince yourself and you want everybody to know. You want everybody to know that you know the answer to that question. You like to tell people how much of the Bible you know. You make sure when you're around certain people that they're impressed with your knowledge of the scriptures. How long you've been studying and how many books you read and whatever. You want them to know that because there's something that wants personal praise. Somebody ought to notice all the time I've spent. And let me tell you about what all I've done, how many places I've been, how many thousands of plural of sermons I preach. You're welcome. And this man becomes deceived in his heart. Listen, how can God use him? Because he seizes any opportunity that would exalt himself, make a name for himself. Watch me, praise me, notice me, think about me. Listen to what the book of Proverbs says. Let me quote you something from, from uh, Proverbs 25. For so men to search for their own glory is not glory. A man who searches for his own glory, it is not glory at all. That's his judgment. And I remember we used to send out a brochure of my list of tapes, and right there in the front page was Brother Tom. I had brown hair then. Don't I look good? And I said, well, this guy's going to come preach to you. Wow! And then he goes and preaches to him, and you sit there and say, well, what's the big thing about him? Because God lets you fall flat on your face. Well, I've been there. Whoom! And all the people, you said, oh, you need to come and hear this guy. So they come and hear why he couldn't speak three sentences without stuttering. It's just a humbling experience. But aren't you glad God can humble you? Because if he doesn't, your success will only improve your attitude of who you think you are. And then God has to judge you. Listen to this verse in Proverbs. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than for him. A man who is wise in his own evaluation of himself. The Bible said there's more hope for a fool than for him. I don't care what all he's done, where all he's been, and all of that. There's more hope for a fool. Or take the accomplished church in Laodicea. Remember that one in Revelation 3 at the, the last church? They said, we are rich. We have need of nothing, not even God. We've learned how to do things. We put things together. We got it all done. We fixed it up, and we didn't have to pray all night to do this. We just have enough sense to know how to do it. That's the way most people think of the business world about building a church. We don't need to ask God anything. We just go do it. We get enough people coming here to get enough people to have an offering sufficient. The bank will give us enough money. We can build us a cathedral of tomorrow instead of this cathedral of yesterday. The next thing you know, you get boastful and proud about that. You start thinking, you know, look what we have done. There, wasn't there a man in the Bible that said, man, look at what I got. I'm going to build me some new barns and put all my stuff in it. Remember what the Lord said to him? Thou fool. 
a man who is wise in his own conceits, there is more hope for a fool than for that man. It's a dangerous thing to think of yourself more than you should. Or for any of us to see ourselves as so valuable that we can't do without one of us. But the Laodicean church, they had money, they had it all, they put it all together, they complimented themselves. I'm sure their little write-up on the paper on Friday that comes in tells you what all the churches are doing, you know, their announcements and stuff. That's all right. That's okay. You know, you get in there, the biggest about us, look what we're doing, look what we've got, look, look how we're doing, look how many departments, look, 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 look how many people. We're pretty good at this. Remember what Jesus said to the Laodicean church? He mentions all these, these things. He said, you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. Here's the church, and we would never, ever say this about people like that. Let me get off subject for one second. If a true attitude of a person is we're all of this kind of stuff, is that evil? Is there any congregation anywhere in the world that would ever admit that some aspect of their service or their way they're doing things is evil? Uh, they're not going to say that. We're not going to say that that preacher you grew up with that you'd love so much, you would never say that he was evil, even though he talks you out of doing a lot of things that God wants you to do. We would never say that's evil. We couldn't. We're locked into esteeming things as we as humans evaluate them, and it couldn't be anything wrong with it. That's why people don't think they're lost. Because they think of hell as a place for bad people, and they're not that bad. They tell themselves, I am just not that bad. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. That's for bad people. So I guess we're going to heaven. And it's hard to preach to those people. They're already convinced they're saved. They're already convinced they're all right. You can refine them as they go to church, but, but no, they're all right. Most of them have never been born again. Their lives have never changed. And they think they're all right because they're deceived. They've been self-deceived. They measure their worth before God on their human goodness, and I am not all that bad. Therefore, I must be essentially good with the little bad that needs to be worked on. And they're going to heaven. If that's not the philosophy of some lost man, I don't know what is. Because the Bible said, all we like sheep have gone astray. There is not a righteous one among. There is none good. No, not one. All men need to be saved. No man just gets saved. You're born of the flesh, you're of the flesh. But you've got to be born of the spirit to have spirit. Laodicea, you're like so many churches that exist. You've accomplished. You're self-made. That's the problem. And you don't know that in the eyes of the Almighty, you're wretched. You look up the Greek words, you got a dictionary, they, ooh, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're blind. And you're naked. That'd be like saying there's nothing about you that is acceptable unto me. Plus, he said, you're poor. You have nothing. Isn't that amazing? 
We would never ever say that because in this hour, don't be so judgmental. And yet, he was, apparently. It looks good on the outside, but when you get on the inside, didn't Jesus say something like that once? tree looked like it was bearing fruit. It was a time of season for the figs. Wow, it was lush and green and overflowing. And, and you came up to it and there was no fruit on it. There was nothing there for which the tree was made to do. It had nothing. What did Jesus do to it? He cursed it. Come on, Jesus. I mean, come on. He doesn't play that come on game. He doesn't play that come on game. But this is what happens. When we're deceived, when we deceive ourselves, or our heart is deceived. Let's take you to another one. In Luke 12, take heed and beware of covetousness. 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 It's a strong desire for more. It's a strong urge and a strong desire to possess worldly things. And in this age, if you're a Christian, the urge and the strong desire to possess more and to have more is like in Colossians 3 and verse 5, it equates to idolatry. Idolatry. Well, we've been struggling some, you know what, a lot of people are struggling who should not be. I'm going to teach next year on the subject of poverty because it's in the church. It doesn't have to be, but it is. Because the promises that are made are made to deliver us. Take us away from. But back to covetousness. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, here's what Jesus said. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses, not his houses, plural, or house, singular, not his cars, plural, or his car, singular, not how many toys he's got. You say, well, the Lord gave me all that. I'm sure the Lord gives stuff. I might have said this the other day. I say some things so often. I don't know how often I say it, so just bear with me. And it's not an aging moment either. But I was in a little room outside the house, a little tool room. And I was sitting in there. I just go out there and do this a lot. I just sit in there, turn on the light, and just sit. And it's a great place to think. I look at all the stuff in there. I mean, I have stuff across the wall, across that wall, and across this wall. And I was sitting at a desk that too much stuff was in it. Here's my little closet here. Had my little hunting jackets in it. I like to keep that out of the house. I even had a shotgun or two out there. I look at all the stuff. All the stuff. That's what it is. It's just stuff. I look at that and I think, Lord, you've given me all this stuff. Everywhere I looked, I had to build shelves, or Keith did, to, to put stuff in and then hide it and put it somewhere. I said, Lord, every shelf is full. This is true. Every drawer is full. Every cubby hole is full. All the corners are full. You've given me all this stuff simply because I asked for it. And you know what? And God knows it. I could walk out of this room, lock the door, and never come back in this room again and, and let it go down. It is only something for temporary to, for me to enjoy. It, none of it has to do with heaven. None of it can get you to heaven. And if you make an idol out of it, it'll keep you from heaven. 
When you got to treasure that, as Paul was speaking about your heart's treasure, when you treasure that stuff and you long after it, it becomes an idol. You live for it. Everything is surrounding that. You become covetous because you want more of that. You delight yourself in having, look what I've got, instead of saying, look what you've given me. Look what you've given to me, Lord. I could walk in my garage, and there they are. There's the shovels and the weed whackers and the saws back there and a cabinet here and a four-wheeler there. And that's for work. And you look around and you think, Lord, you've given me everything. But you see, the deal is, as long as everything doesn't have you, you can have everything. He can give you richly all things to enjoy, not to hoard, not to be obsessed with it, not to dread somebody having to give something or all of it away. It wasn't even yours to begin with. God gave everything in there to you. He gave you the money to buy it. If you bought it without him doing that, you wouldn't have anything. And he not only gave you that, but he gave you the money to get it with. Praise be to God. It's when you begin to covet and you begin to want more and you begin to miss church to get more that more becomes an idol. That more becomes what you're obsessed with and what keeps you from being the way it should be. A man's life, Jesus said, does not consist in the abundance of things he has. Listen to this from another translation. For even in the height of his prosperity, a man's true life does not depend on what he has. And it doesn't. I've spoken at a number of funerals in my life. Can't say I liked any of them, but I was at them. I never saw yet, never one time yet have I seen in a casket a shotgun, an old pair of boots, some gold certificates, a dog, whatever a man lives for, you know, whatever a man's trade. You've heard the old saying, you can't take it with you? Then don't live like it owns you. You own it. I master it. It won't master me, especially being married to my wife. I've, I've got a break here. You know, we kind of stay with each other about what's important, what's not important. None of the stuff in my little room out there, none of the stuff in there was important. None of it was essential for my spiritual life. Not a single thing in there. There was nothing in that room that I depend on to live for the Lord. Nothing. It was all for my pleasure and for my enjoyment in this life. And he gave me that. He said he would. But covetousness, covetousness is when you live to have all of that. Let me tell you something about covetousness. It'll keep you out of heaven. Turn to Ephesians 5. He said in Ephesians 5 and verse 5, For this you know, that no whoremonger, that's the playboys, and you could add the playgirls in there, they would be called whores. So whores and whoremongers, bad sounding words, and they are ugly words, but they're biblical words too. For this you know that no whoremonger, let me say this too, that one that your kids love to hear sing and got their picture on the wall and listen to their music, them, those kind of people. Okay, your parents can do that later. 
For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person, unclean people are the ones that told that duck dynasty guy that he shouldn't say that stuff about sin. I heard, saw that on the computer the other day. He said that uh, homosexuality is a sin. And they went, it is not. And they had a fit. Excuse me. They had a problem with that. And now everybody said, quit saying that. That's not very nice. Well, is it true? To whom is it true? It's true to a minority. There's a lot of Christians that would never say that because that might hurt somebody's feelings. It'd be like Jesus saying, oh, brood of vipers, <laughs> you hypocrites. That's not very nice either. But anyway, where was I? We're talking about the unclean man. For he said that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know why a lot of people who have a poverty spirit cannot give? It's because they're living to get. They've never yet learned how to trust God and let God bring it. They see themselves as getting it, and they see themselves as keeping it. It's hard to let go when you got it and you did it. But when you begin to let go and let God bring it to you, and you endure the testing of those days, he can bring it to you. I can testify to all of you that. I mean, that's what he does. He's blessed. He blesses me, and I know he blesses you. The Bible says, let your manner of life be with contentment and not covetousness. God wants you to be content with the things that you have. He'll give you more if you ask him for more. But he says you be content with such things as you have. And again, he says to the rich in the first Timothy 6, many people who have sought for riches, he said, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows because money has never turned out to be. When you live for it, it never turns out to be what you thought it was. It is a terrible taskmaster. Some of the richest people in the world are miserable people. Some of the richest starlets and athletes. We hear about the ones that have millions of dollars committing suicide. They would have been a lot better off if they had walked away from all that and asked Jesus to save them. Then life would have been a joy every day, every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before the song says. So he said in coming to a close, there are things you need to take heed to. Nobody can take heed for you. As you're learning and you're growing, remember what you've been taught, make application of it. That not only will advance you forward, but it'll keep you from being snared. But there's one more take heed that I want you to get because there's preachers in this room. Or if you're not a preacher, some way you minister because everybody in this room probably has or will have some sort of a ministry whether it's changing the filter on the furnace, just keeping in check. I changed that thing the other day and it scared me. I mean, it looked like, well, anyway, ministry of a lot of things. 
Used to have people parking cars in a lot in a big church. They felt good about that. They wanted to do that. That was some way they could help people get in the building and get out of the lot. I mean, that's good. It's something you do for, on behalf of other people. Deaconia, it's a ministry. And so there's one more in Colossians chapter 4. Would you turn to Archippus? Colossians chapter, you know what Archippus means when you get there. That's his name. Colossians 4 and verse 17. Next to last verse. And say to Archippus, that sounds good to me, Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you what? What if the Lord gave me uh, a gift for singing. Oh, what if he gave me a gift to bless, well, the Lord and his people with song? Would there be a ministry? It's a gift. It's a giving from the Lord. And he said, if you have something, then do what? Fulfill it. Don't let it go. I know people that have had a gift for leading singing and, and who let it go. I mean, they had a gift. I mean, it was anointed. Will probably always be. I'm sure if they lived to be 100 and they're 100 years old, they could walk up and they hit a stroke on the get. You'd probably want to sing. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. They don't go back. They stay. And so if you have something from the Lord, you take advantage of it. If you're a missionary, You've been on a missionary field, and you've got this sensing that God has given you a missionary's heart. Okay, work on it. Study on it. Read about missionaries, great ones, the ones that God greatly used. Read their stories, how they handled things in other countries. You feel like you might be called to preach. Maybe. You don't know, but there's something there. Let me tell you something, folks. And I don't mean this wrong. Everybody loves me for this. But not everybody that stands here is called. All you men can stand here and do a sermon. I remember my son Jim once spoke for seven minutes. <laughs> seven minutes. But we all have something. If I thought I had something from the Lord to teach when I was a Sunday school teacher, I could not get away from studying all the time just for one lesson on Sunday morning that was supposed to last for a half hour. By the time everybody got a cup of coffee and a donut and, and said, hello, we only had 20 minutes left. So I voted in the board that we spend an hour in Sunday school class. And some of those teachers like to have died an hour because all they had was that little, yeah, that thing. But you know what? There was a lot of information because that's what I studied with. I got that down and studied, only I just went further than that. And, of course, things I went further with made half of them mad anyway. But see, I was saved. I just got saved. All I knew was get it right. Get it right. Go all the way. You signed up for the whole trip, not to the corner. This is a marathon, not a 100-yard dash. So stay with it all the way. And let's go all the way. Let's do it God's way. That's the only way I could see it. I still do. Well, some of them in there, I got to saying what I said. Well, huh? So we, we voted in for one hour. Boy, I was so happy because all I wanted to do was study and study and study and study and get it right. Two or three in the morning, I'd go to bed and I'd get up at 
you know, seven or eight o'clock in the morning to go to church and just let her go. I enjoyed that. I just had a lot of fun. That was my little church. I didn't know I was going to do what I'm doing now. All I knew was I had a Sunday school class, and that was the joy of my life. But now I look back, and I see that all of that was in preparation for this because I didn't learn that much more than I went to seminary, to tell you the truth. Anyway, it was good. But if you think you have something, the ministry... Give it your best shot. 1 Timothy 4, and we'll close. This will be it. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Oh, what a wonderful passage of Scripture. Verse 6. Put your name here. If you who think maybe you've got something from the Lord, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine wherein thou hast attained. And then down in verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift or this gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to them so that others may see your profiting. Take heed unto yourself, verse 16, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Live it. For in doing them, thou shalt both save thyself and who else? You realize how gracious God is with that verse? You realize what kind of a premium he puts on that? If you've got it, give yourself totally to it and live it and preach it that way. And if you do, you'll not only save yourself, but all those that hear you. Now, you can't get it better than that. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless your word to all of us so that we can understand it, delight in it, be ruled by it. Be willing to submit ourselves to everything you're saying. Give us that kind of a heart, a heart where we hide your word, a word hidden that the Holy Spirit can bring to our remembrance in times of turmoil or difficulty. May the power of your word overshadow us in our weaknesses and offer us strength and help. For Heavenly Father, you and your word are one, and we receive it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.